On the show today, we want to discuss time, which is a weird thing to discuss, but we hope to make it worth your while or time. (laughs) We also want to discuss uh, Christian America's favorite idol and then end with our Bible topic from Mark Jones's book, Knowing Sin. We are glad you are here. So let's get to the show. Welcome in. Uh, This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. It's my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. We're very grateful that you're joining us today. And if you're new here, uh, let us just get it out up front. We are not religionless. This show is not religionless. Um, We're very Christian people, very religious people, but it's the nation, the world that we live in that is increasingly secular, increasingly religionless. Uh, So that in part is where the name comes from. And we're going to do what we always do on Saturdays, and that's just look at news stories from around the country, around the world from the last week that caught our interest that we thought we could discuss from a Christian perspective and, um, you know, help believers live a life that's pleasing to God in a world that seems to be rejecting him. So that's Mm -hmm. what we're going to try to do today. And I do think we have some fun stories to talk about. Well, a fun story, but, um, and then other stories as always, but before we get to all of that, is there anything you'd like to say? Prayer requests, praise reports, anything of that sort? All the same prayer requests I've always brought up. <laughs> um, I do praise God. I had confirmation today that I am indeed healed from my digestive issue that I brought up before. Um, nurse said it, that the uh, carnivore diet was probably what helped me. And she did advise against seed oils, as that is something I have learned about too. Um, So I encourage you to research seed oils. Um, They're in everything. I know this isn't about health, but here's the opportunity. I'll take it. (laughs) So if anybody else is dealing with digestive issues, remove those seed oils maybe. Try just that as elimination um, to get better. So praise God for the wisdom for people who teach us these things. So I do give glory to God. Yeah, that's great. Um, Certainly glad you're doing well. Um, (laughs) And I will just say, uh, as far as a prayer request, um, this is, I guess, just for us, but our church more specifically. So our church, wonderful church, Heritage Christian Fellowship, they're growing, praise God. And that means um, we're kind of busting at the seams with the the small building that we're in now. So they're in the process of looking for a new church building. So just, you know, pray that God would bring something along the the elders' paths that, you know, make sense financially, but also location-wise and, you know, all the other things that play into, you know, we have people with severe, you know, medical ailments that can't necessarily travel across the city. Um, quite so easily. So if the church moves far away, you know, that sort of stuff is all things you have Mm -hmm. to consider when you're moving a church. So just be in prayer for Heritage Christian Fellowship, if you could, um, that we'd find a good church that accommodates the growth that the Lord is blessing them with and, you know, doesn't put anybody out uh, unnecessarily, I suppose. So please pray for that. So We'll go ahead and knock these plugs out, and then we can just jump into our discussion on <laughs> time. <laughs> um, so you guys know that we're proud members of the Christian podcast community. 
and we are blessed to be there. It's a great place you can go there on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, really, you know, many of the major podcasting platforms, many of the episodes or many of the shows are on YouTube. But I got Spotify pulled up here if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or Rumble. And you can just go there, subscribe to one feed, and you can get shows from, you know, 50 to 60 good Christian podcasters talking about a range of different, you know, topics in the Christian faith. So it makes it easy to, you know, like I said, subscribe to one feed and get a whole host of shows. So consider checking that out. I think you'll be blessed by it. And then I saw this story um, over the past week. Terrorists kill 23 pastors, shut down 200 churches in Nigerian state over four years. And reading through this article, uh, it says the Kaduna state is one of six states in northwest Nigeria severely impacted by bandit activities. And this article just goes on to highlight, you know, the desperate need and the dire situation that these Nigerian Christians face. They're being murdered. Um, it talks about many of them being imprisoned. Um, and I bring that up because I bring up every week to you guys, Cardinal Contingency Solutions. Um, this is what they specialize in. They specialize, um, this is one aspect of the training I have pulled up here, their high threat environmental awareness training. You know, Nigeria, <laughs> it's a high threat environment. But that doesn't mean we should shrink back from taking the gospel to that country. But we should go there well-informed. Um, you know, did you know that there were active bandit groups roaming these six provinces in Nigeria? I didn't, but I bet your cardinal does. Uh, and they can inform you on that. They can inform you on the assets that you have available to you as Americans in, in, you know, in a situation like that, but also just the training to keep yourself out of trouble, to avoid trouble, to, you know, de-escalate conflicts. If you find yourself running into a bandit group roaming the Nigerian countryside, like you don't have to go in blind. There are companies, Cardinals among the best in the world at training for these types of environments. So reach out to them. I think you'll be blessed. And then lastly, uh, the shameless plug here. Uh, we would love you guys to support the show, stick around with us for the long haul. So the easiest way to do that and support the show is just drop a like, you know, subscribe if you're on YouTube, uh, Rumble, if your podcast platform offers to follow, subscribe, whatever happens to say, please consider doing that. That stuff definitely helps. We're all slaves to algorithms and that, you know, manipulates the algorithms in our favor. And we'd certainly appreciate that. And then if you're in the mood to go shopping, do something like that. We got affiliate links down in the show notes, Amazon, Best Buy, I think Christian Books. And, you know, you use those affiliate links. We get a small percentage at no extra cost to you. It just helps us to provide for the show the different, you know, pieces of tech and stuff like that that we need to replace occasionally. And, um, you know, we're getting ready to start up a sort of in-home Bible reading not necessarily a Bible study so much, but kind of a, you know, we have a lot of people in our neighborhood that go walking in the evenings and stuff. And the idea is just to have, you know, a Bible reading, some hymns playing every evening or on Saturdays, I think is what we're going to start with. We so, need to like put like a sign out on the sidewalk saying, feel free to 
yeah. come inside because they might just keep walking thinking. Right. Inviting people uh. in and stuff <laughs> like that. So, and we're also, my intention is to live stream that um, on Facebook maybe. So if other people want to just sit down, you know, but again, that takes money. Um, it takes equipment and stuff like that. And again, that's not your guys' burden necessarily, but if you want to help support us, we'd appreciate it. We also have our Patreon down there with a community prayer list that we're trying to get going. So consider that if you would, we'd be blessed by all of it. But with that being said, let's get into the uh, discussion here, a discussion I am excited to have, <laughs> maybe because I'm a bit of a kook, so it, it interests me. But um, like Nikki said in the open there, we do want to discuss time and not from sort of this Maybe it is metaphysical, I guess, if you're talking about the supernatural, but not really from a scientific perspective so much, but from an experience perspective. Uh, like I said, this is a topic that I'm interested in, and I'm glad that we kind of came across a story that allowed us the opportunity to dive in and discuss this topic, which, you know, is, I guess, a bit off the beaten path of normal, I guess, Christian discussion. But do you want to go ahead and read this headline, honey? Do you feel time going faster? It says, everywhere I go, I find people commenting. I can't believe how time is flying. Life seems to be going by so fast. They tell me, days and months seem to be zipping by, almost in a blur. The older we get, the quicker time seems to pass. Why is that? When we were five, it seemed like an eternity as we eagerly counted days until Christmas. That represented about 20% of our life. When we're 50, it represents about 2%. Hence, the gap shortens and everything seems to come quicker with the pace ever quickening. Yep. So time getting quicker. Mm -hmm. And this is a topic that I heard discussed really for the first time, maybe a decade ago. You know, the idea that time seems to be um, going quicker was kind of the discussion that they had. And uh, I think at that time, you know, they referenced that, you know, it's biblical. That's something that we should expect is that time would move quicker. And I never heard that before. I was like, that's odd. So are we talking about like, it seems it's moving faster or people are actually saying time is faster? Right. So they're saying it seems like it's moving faster because it's moving faster. Um, and that is, we would expect that it would continue to move faster. And, you know, now... We get older, right? And as this article kind of mentioned, every day does become less of the whole of our life. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're one day old, that day is 100% of your life. So, you know, that's all the time, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're 100 years old, that one day, and I can't do public math here, but it makes up a whole lot less than 100%, right? So um, the days and the hours, they just continue to make up less and less of, you know, of your life as we grow older. And I think every adult that's ever lived, Nikki and I included, right? We've all said, you know, where is the time gone? It's just flying by. I can't believe it's already. I know we had our 20 year high school reunion. <laughs> yeah. And I still feel like a 19 year old. Nikki probably thinks I'm still a 19 year old in many respects. Uh, but so, I mean, really the idea of life getting faster or feeling faster isn't necessarily a new phenomenon. Um, but is I guess the reason why I wanted to talk about this is, is today just common to what every other person has experienced as they get older, or is it different? 
Uh, and I think one point that's worth mentioning that makes today unique from all of the time before it is technology. You know, it's almost like once technology and the internet um, came on the scene in a real way, like we're experiencing now, it seems like time has accelerated. And also at the same time that like time has stopped in some respects. Uh, Nikki showed me a video. It was on like a YouTube short or maybe TikTok. I can't remember. But it was this guy kind of talking about how weird it is that really fashion hasn't changed since 2003. And he was kind of making the point that like every other decade before this, there was like distinct lines between like, you know, you could very distinctly or very easily distinguish between like the 50s and the 60s, the Mm -hmm. 60s and 70s, 70s, 80s, 80s, 90s, and 90s to the 2000s. But since the 2000s, it's like everything's relatively the same. You know, he made the point of The Mm -hmm. Office, the TV show, and he's like, the first season of The Office came out in 2003. And the people there in that office, they look exactly the same, dressed exactly the same as the people in 2023. Yeah, you could watch it today and not guess what year it was. Yeah, outside of maybe that was two years ago when it started on the desk or something. Technology. Yeah, the screen sizes are smaller. Yeah, but even you know, fashion has seemed to stop. Uh, Music is largely it's from my ears is much the same. Yeah, as it was. Things are repeating now in fashion and in music. So technology is unique to our time. Um, You know, everything Mm -hmm. is uh, online now. Uh, And maybe part of why it seems like things are going faster is because of technology. You know, modern tech has enabled us to do pretty much everything at lightning speed. You know, phones and the internet has really completely taken away any downtime that we might have. Mm -hmm. So there's really no longer such thing as boredom anymore. Right. Like if you're bored, you just grab your phone, grab your laptop, jump on a, you know, a video mm-hmm. game, whatever happens to be. So we never really have the opportunity in today's society to just let time drag on. I mean, that the idea of just being bored and mm-hmm. just letting time drag on seems incomprehensible to us anymore. So is it just a figment of our imagination that time is accelerating or is it actually accelerating? Yeah, the thing with the technology, it is idleness. Um, and I think time goes by quickly when you're doing something like that. Really, like if you're watching a movie, time goes by fast. If you're scrolling Facebook, you're like, how did I just waste an hour? I felt like 10 minutes. But this whole idea of idleness and time, I just want to chime in on my current convictions of being idle. Um, recently, I was reading Proverbs 31. And it says about the wife that she looks well to the way of her household and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Um, So this chapter is about keeping busy, doing the work the Lord has given you to do. Um, You have a home, husband and children. You you cannot be idle and be looking after the ways of your household. Um, So being at home and doing these things isn't, it doesn't even even work, really. Um, It's a joy to cook and clean and teach your children. And, you know, sure, it can be stressful in some ways sometimes, but you are doing your work in your place of rest. And you can take breaks anytime you want. Um, You're the boss and you can make it as pleasant or miserable (laughs) as you like. I mean, obviously, it can be miserable without your wanting it to be. (laughs) Um, But I am happiest when I am working in the home. 
I have joy when I can focus on my domain. Um, so with that being said, I have been convicted in being idle more than I should be. Um, and this doesn't mean it's wrong to take breaks and do reading or catching up with friends or, you know, talking to somebody on the phone, whatever. Um, it's that what Spencer mentioned, just like mindlessly wasting time on our screens. Um, it's just not beneficial. And we are the generation <laughs> that has wasted more time um, than than any. And time is running out. Um, so this is a it's important to discuss time. Um, a lot of people don't want to think about time because they don't want to think about eternity. Right. Um, yeah. So I think we are the generation that has wasted so much time. Um, and it's like Satan planned this. Uh, he knows that his time is short. So he devised um, to make us waste what precious little time we have left. Um, so the gospel won't go forth throughout the world, and the Lord will not return soon. But of course, the Lord is going to return. God has determined that day. Nobody can stop that day. But nope. Satan always tries to thwart God's plans. So um, let's just see idleness as what it is. It is the bread. It is the bread of idleness. It's. I was trying to research really what that meant. It's idleness, but it's the bread of idleness. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's uh, it's an interesting phrase to use, you know, eat yeah. the bread of idleness, you know, because Christ, the bread of life. and Yeah, you know, I was trying to make a connection kind, there. Yeah. So that, I don't know, I was just really convicted in it. And I have been praying for conviction um, for whatever. Sometimes we're just blind to our sin. And I'm like, well, I know I'm not perfect. God, please show me. Not that I think I'm perfect, obviously. We all know. I'm like, God, show me what I need to work on now. What's of most importance? And it's the things I've been praying about, um, being better at homeschooling the kids. Because I said before, like, it doesn't come naturally to me. I don't, like, enjoy it. But this conviction about being idle um, really got to me. And it's kind of spurring me on to not be idle because I can... I can stay busy doing other things that are productive while ignoring the more important things so I don't feel so guilty. And I'm sure other people do that too. Um, I know that about myself and I see it in my kids too. Like one of our kids will be busy doing something else. It's not a bad thing. It's something they should do. But I'm like, but not right now. You need to be focused on your schoolwork. And I'm like, they're just like me. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Holy Spirit... Guys, as I was reading Proverbs 31, I was thinking how the Holy Spirit works through God's word, as he always does. Um, his word and the spirit together do the work um, like of conviction, because I was reading the word and then the conviction came. And I've read that before without conviction. So it's just an answer to prayer as I'm reading the word. It's so cool. Um, and then we respond by agreeing and going to the Father for help. And it's just like a beautiful realization. Jesus, the Word, the Holy Spirit, and God, like the Trinity still working together to sanctify us, not just in salvation, but in sanctification too. And it was just kind of neat. I was thinking about that today. I'm like, they all three work together <laughs> yeah. still. Like just, I don't know. It's kind of neat. If you have anything, yeah, share like any story you have of... um you know, a prayer and just finding the answer and conviction or 
encouragement, whatever it is from the word and how that was the answer to your prayer. God usually just uses his word to answer our prayer, to help us see the truth. Yeah. And I mean, it is an amazing, beautiful picture of the Trinity and even this idea of idleness and technology. I mean, it's certainly discussions need to be had. Yeah. Um, I think yeah. we're all guilty of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, even as we discuss this topic of time being short, it almost exacerbates how damaging the idleness, you know, and the, the time we waste really is. It is the a time gift. Time is getting shorter, yet we're wasting more of it. Yeah. It becomes exponentially worse. And, right. you know, we're convicted of that. I think we had a discussion at our Wednesday night church group about, mm-hmm. you know, really wasting time. And, you know, our lives are short as it mm-hmm. is. Um, rather, what we're talking about here, time shortening or not, our lives are short and mm-hmm. we spend so much of it, you know, obviously technology, social media, and all of this stuff is such a largely a waste of time. Um, but yeah, definitely something yeah. to consider in our I own think lives. Maybe God has us designed in such a way that we realize um time. Like as we get older, we see, wow, it's going so fast. You know, you look at kids and you're like, how are you already grown up? You're, you know, almost the age we were when we got married. <laughs> like, and like God allowing us to like feel like time is going fast to get us to ponder eternity, to get us to think how short our lives are. So we will call upon him sooner or just take our life seriously. It's a gift from him and, and take seriously his commands, um, to spread the gospel, to mend relationships. Um, time is such a gift. It's such a mercy of God. Absolutely. But, um, so, yeah, whether time is moving fast or not, faster or not, um, it is definitely something we need to ponder and take stock in. Um, but let's just continue on with this article here so we can get into this idea of, is time actually moving faster? Do you want to read this paragraph? Oh, uh, where are we at? Yeah, right here. Additionally, Scripture speaks of the acceleration in pace of living in Daniel, which is a prophetic book for the end times that Jesus cited. The last chapter alerts us to something interesting happening prior to his return. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. That was quoting Daniel 12.4. Yep, Daniel 12.4, and... You know, we would have to conclude, right, that this verse they reference is a verse that we see play out better in our time, maybe mm-hmm. maybe than ever in human history. Um, and kind of like we've been talking about with this idleness technology, um, it's just simply because we're better able to um, to do this than anyone in history. Technology has allowed us to run to and fro increasing in knowledge, Mm -hmm. unlike any time in human history, you know, so if Daniel is speaking of running to and fro as busyness, Mm. that's the idea. Then again, I feel we see this better today than ever before. Mm. And it's, you know, weird because technology somehow promises to make our lives easier to simplify them. And while it may do that in some respect, it simultaneously leads us to fill our lives to the brim 
with more and more. Isn't it kind of funny how we want things to make our lives easier so we have more time? So we have more time, but we waste it. Yeah, it's like each <laughs> bit of technology simplifies and make th makes things easier. So we just add more simplified, easy things to fill in the gaps. So there's really no ever no no time ever made up. It's just, well, now you can do more, right? You can run to and fro faster and faster and do more. And, you know, all of these mm -hmm. simplified tasks, but they're running us ragged, it seems. Um, and I know it's running us ragged, again, which is why we're trying to fight to slow our lives down a little bit, right? And, you know, mm -hmm. stepping back from doing the daily devotionals that we had done and, you know, Nikki mm -hmm. stepping back from work and just trying to like slow it down a little bit, um, which is not easy in modern society for sure. But I actually had this kind of argument. It wasn't really an argument because it was with a friend, but kind of a disagreement about this last aspect. You know, he says we run to and fro and increasing in knowledge. And I had this discussion about increasing in knowledge with a coworker and, and forgive my wording, but my point on it was that, um, while our knowledge may be increasing, somehow we might be the dumbest people in human history. And of course, he was pretty adamant that that was not true. And his reasoning was basically, um, we have the most college educated populace we've ever had, right? So how can we be dumb if we're the most college educated? And my argument was kind of because of that, like, and because of technology tying into it, that maybe because of technology, right? We have more knowledge, but we've lost any ability, it seems, or a large ability to actually know how to use that knowledge appropriately. We have all these people with all these degrees, but you know what we don't have anymore is like philosophers. Like Yeah, philosophy's dead. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how many, you know, psychologists are running around with letters after their names that tell you, you know, your gender's fluid, yeah. uh, all this sort of stuff, right? Are we going to tell, are we going to, suggest that they're somehow wise and knowledgeable? Of course not. Um, and, you know, my kind of point was that we've lost critical thinking skills. Mm -hmm. yep. And it's basically because we don't have to critically think anymore. We have technology to critically think for us. And, you know, right on the cusp now of AI really getting implemented into the mainstream, I think this is only going to get worse. You know, why would we waste our time solving a problem when AI can solve it for us mm -hmm. in a minute, right? Again, we're going to simplify and then fill to the brim like with simplified we're things. We're so smart that we've created something. That makes us irrelevant. That Yeah. Like, is that a smart thing to do? If we're so smart, why would we do that? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty odd. Um, you know, but if we're looking for an application of Daniel 12.4, I think it's hard to say that we haven't found it in our day, you know, but as this article kind of touches on, and this article took me to a place that the article didn't go. You know, the article is kind of talking about this idea from Daniel, the quickening of the pace, running to and fro. Um, so the acceleration of pace is one thing. I think we certainly see that in our day. I, it'd be hard for me to believe that there's very many people that would disagree that our lives have gotten quicker as far as the pace that we're living them at. I don't know how many people would disagree with that. But the thing that this article got me to really start thinking about was just the loss of time. You know, as we kind of mentioned earlier, when we were starting this, time seems to be flying by and at least to some and this is what I heard a decade ago, 
some believe, and you can go on YouTube and stuff and find videos and articles of people talking about this same thing. Um, scripture seems to, at least in some people's eyes, speak about the idea of an actual quickening of time, not just a quickening of pace, but an actual quickening of time. Uh, so this comes from, and this is where my mind went when I read the article. So this article isn't necessarily as going as far as what we're talking about here. And I just want to make the point, this isn't me saying this is true, or this is what I believe. Because, you know, even when you look online and YouTube and stuff, a lot of the mainstream Christian thinkers aren't going down this route of an actual quickening of time. Right. They don't go there. So it's more of a fringe topic. I get that. But I still think it's worth discussing because just because it's fringe doesn't mean it's not true. Um, and just because it's popular doesn't mean it is true, right? I mean, so it's worth discussing. And I just find it interesting. So deal with it, right? Uh, in love. But uh, let's read Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. Do you want to read that? Mm -hmm. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Yeah. So unless those days have been cut short, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Hmm. And I did look up a couple of commentaries on Matthew 22, um, just to see what the folks out there are saying about it. Okay. And 24, 22. Yeah, what did I say? You just said 22. Oh, 24, 22. Uh, so the ESV mm. Study Bible, it states, some suggest this means that if God's wrath were to continue unchecked against the wickedness of humanity, no one would survive the eventual destruction. And others see uh, in this a reference to a cutting short of either the 70th week of Daniel 927 or the 42 months of Revelation 11, 12, or 11, 2. And then I looked up in John MacArthur's commentary, and he says, but for the elect's sake, so that redeemed people do not suffer more than they can bear, the time is shortened, i.e. held short of total destruction. So mm -hmm. their points of view, and which, is, again, I think is the mainstream common understanding, is a shortening of days in the idea of a number of days. Mm -hmm. God is going to cut short the number of days. Um and again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're wrong in their interpretation or anything of that sort, but just more of a, a question of, could it also be a shortening of the length of days? You know, could time in fact be moving faster? Again, we all feel like it's moving faster. Is it moving faster? And does the Bible suggest that it will move faster well, as time draws to an end? Notice it day by day. Because we have some days that drag on and other days just go fast. Does it just depend on how busy Right, we and are, I would assume how idle we are. <laughs> if it is accelerating now, you know, in a small way, I would assume if it were to accelerate dramatically when the Lord returns, that we would probably notice that quite quickly, uh, or we would definitely have our eyes open to that. Um, but as far as this idea of Matthew twenty four twenty two, um. That's obviously listed in the section of scripture where Jesus is um, giving the prophecy of the end times, what's going to happen in the end times. Mm -hmm. So he's speaking the end times. And some 
take this prophecy and they see it partially fulfilled in AD 70, you know, with the destruction of the temple. And so they say some of this has already happened, some is yet to come. Uh, and I think for some of them, in just the commentaries I read, this is where they get the idea of the shortening of days. There are certain commentaries that talk about, well, that was during the destruction of the temple in AD 70. It was shortened or else everyone would have been destroyed. So, uh, you know, they kind of mentioned the siege was mm. shortened. And maybe that's true, right? Um, this is more, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on this shortening of time, this cutting short of time. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure. Obviously, I don't know enough about biblical history and prophecy as of yet to know if this was actually fulfilled in AD 70. Um, but what it does go on to say in Matthew 24, in the next verses, um, is that we will then see the Lord's coming like lightning in verse 28. And then in verse 29 and 30, it says, uh, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the son of man will appear in the sky. Yeah. The sign of the son of man when we see him. Yeah. I mean, I would assume that's what it's saying, right? This is the end end. The mm -hmm. Lord is coming back. So, Again, while some of this might have been partially fulfilled in AD 70, it would seem that most of this, and especially the parts that we're reading here, following the shortening of the days, is speaking about the second coming of the Lord, not AD 70. Um, and if what Jesus says here is true, you know, that the sun will go dark, the moon won't shine, the stars are going to fall, you know, all of these supernatural signs are going to take place, does it seem like too far of a stretch, too big of a stretch that God can't actually shorten days in the length of the day. You know, and we know that in the Bible, God has prolonged days. You know, in Joshua's time, he made the sun stand still. Uh, Joshua chapter 10, verse 12 through 13 speaks about God in making the, moon. the sun stand still. Yeah, he prolonged the length of days. Mm -hmm. uh, and also... Again, keeping in mind that not all of this was fulfilled, um, this entire prophecy is prefaced by the question the disciples ask of Jesus. In Matthew 24, 3, um, the disciples ask, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And that's when Jesus goes into this lengthy prophetic um, statement in Matthew 24. He's explaining to them, these are the signs. So, again, just something, again, I heard a discussion about, it's not very often, but is time going to be cut short in days? And I will just mention, again, most of the discussion around this seems to be centered around an actual rapture type of mm -hmm. theology. So maybe it's weird that we're even talking about it because we don't necessarily believe in a literal, a literal rapture. rapture. Yeah, secret yeah, rapture. Yeah, you will be raptured when Jesus returns, but I don't believe in a secret rapture before he returns. So maybe I have my own internal conflicts. I just find it fascinating. Well, I do wonder about if it was like the days being shorter and the sun and the moon did move in the sky faster, um, that that would cause people to 
Um, and I think there's some scripture about like the waves, the seas roaring. And if the moon has anything to do with tides, that would cause some troubles yeah, in the ocean. Um, I don't know if that's connected. Uh, I just now thought of it, so I didn't have any scripture prepared. But um, yeah, if anybody has anything to say on that, um, if those scriptures uh, fit together in that context, um, yeah, bring that up. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's other verses, you know, that people will point to in scripture to speak about this idea. One of them is in Second Peter. And it says here in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. Do you want to read those verses? Um, oh, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. What's the elements? I mean, I would assume the entire earth, <laughs> you know, being burned up, the heavens. Um, but, you know, so again, I looked in commentaries and stuff about Second Peter. And again, like everything, there's lots of discussion around end times, prophecy, um, but what this idea of hastening the day of the Lord can mean. And on Second Peter, the MacArthur commentary, he notes that hastening simply means to eagerly desire. Mm -hmm. And the ESV study Bible says hastening means hurry by extra effort. And it suggests that by living holy lives, Christians can actually affect the time of the Lord's return. It says that does not mean, of course, that the Lord has not foreknown and foreordained when Jesus will return, but when God set that day, he also ordained that it would happen after all of his purposes for saving believers and building the kingdom. So their thoughts on hastening the day, and again, this is probably the more mainstream thought of hastening the day, is that, you know, as, I guess, Christian faith increases that's going to draw the Lord return faster. So in a sense, it would be more shortening of days rather than length of days. Mm -hmm. I think you could yeah. think it that way. Um, but I think, you know, simply because the number of days could be shortened, it doesn't necessarily mean that the days themselves could not also be shortened. You could have less days and shorter days. Uh, I don't think that's possible for sure. Uh, I don't know if it's biblical, but it could be possible. And I thought something else that's at least interesting is that Earth's days are actually shortening. Uh, according to timeanddate.com, hmm. uh, if you go, I saw a couple articles. According to uh, timeanddate.com, in 2020, Earth had the 28 shortest days on record. And I'll have these articles linked if you want to go read them. But the 20, or I'm sorry, the 28 shortest days since 1960. And at this time, they're expecting 2021 to be shorter hmm. than 2020. And then it just, uh, another article here, it says that Earth set a new record for the shortest day ever in 2022. And now these are not dramatic shortenings, but, you know, they're two, you know, one and a half, two milliseconds shorter so again, nothing you would ever notice, but I did think it's interesting that time is in fact actually mm -hmm. shortening. 
And I did read an article again, most of these people are not super mainstream. And it is funny, like in a tech or technological age, if you go and look at somebody like just the way their website looks, you're kind of like, yeah, this person's a kook. You know, just the website's not designed well, kook. Um, mm. So shame on me for having those type of thoughts. So I have a question. If days are shorter, so that means like sunrise and sunset is shorter. Is there a difference in the moon um, rise and set as well? I have no idea. Um, they may speak about why it's shortening in the article. I didn't read the entire thing. I just kind of saw the headlines and a few of the dates and times mm -hmm. and thought, boy, that's interesting. Because if the earth is spinning faster, that would put the moon phases, that would set the moon phases off. And maybe they are changing um, a little bit. You know, I'm not sure. And maybe, maybe all the climate alarmists and stuff. I don't know. Maybe does this all tie into it together? Seems like know? this is something they would have noticed. But, um, <laughs> you know, so this guy that I read, and again, I'm not going to say that he's some somehow correct, but it was just a point that he brought up. Uh, I have no way of verifying it because I'm not a scientist. But um, he mentioned that earthquakes actually have the ability to shorten earth time. And he came at this from a biblical uh, perspective that if there were enough earthquakes in different places or whatever, then it could increase or I mean, it could decrease and shorten the length of days. Um, Seems like it would slow it down. And I thought it was interesting because Matthew 24, 7 speaks of earthquakes. Um, Jesus prophesies and says that in those end days, you know, famines and earthquakes will be in various places. And he's saying, if that's true and earthquakes are happening everywhere, then it could, in fact, shorten the length of days. So, again, is he right or wrong? I don't From know. Scientific. Just experience. thought it was interesting. Yeah. Um, the Lord's prophesied earthquakes. They say earthquakes have a potential to shorten. Eh, thought it was interesting. Hmm. Um, now, again, I recognize on this idea, I'm probably the one that's wrong in <laughs> the more... Uh, <laughs> You know, learned <laughs> men of God are probably right, but I just think it's interesting. I think it's a fun discussion to have. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe because time does seem to be flying by and we all long for the return of the Lord and we're like, ooh, maybe he is coming. Maybe. It, this is exciting. You know, when you're looking forward to something, the day seems slower. So wouldn't it seem like the closer we um, are to the Lord, you know, growing in our faith, we long for that day even more that that would cause the days to go by slow for us. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like I... waiting for Christmas, like the article said. It's like, well, waiting for Jesus to return is a lot more exciting than... <laughs> I'm just going to scroll Facebook till Jesus gets back. Um, that's probably not the right mentality. <laughs> um, but also, I just think from the idea of, you know, nothing's impossible for God, nothing's hard for God. And, you know, we don't like to... I don't know, assume or expect the supernatural, I think, in a lot of respects. Um, but I think the Bible paints a picture and gives us a lot of evidence that the supernatural is something we should expect. Um, this article even highlights it as we go a little bit further down. It says, or do you want to read that? Is uh, he who changes the times and season, uh, Daniel 2.21, doing something supernatural in these last days. God stopped the sun and moon for 24 hours to alter a battle in Joshua 10, 12, 
uh, supercharged Elijah to miraculously outpace a chariot in 1 Kings 18.46, suspended laws of nature when Jesus walked on water, walked through a wall, and arrived ahead of his disciples who arrived by boat. Also, Satan knows that his time is short, Revelation 12.12, and his end-time emissary will work to wear out the saints of the Most High and plan to change times and law, Daniel 7.25. Yeah, so Hmm. we shouldn't poo-poo the idea of something supernatural happening. And obviously, as the end times or the time draws to an end, we're going to be seeing a lot of supernatural things. I mean, watching Christ return from the heavens. But the (laughs) answer to these supernatural things is probably going to be, oh, it's because of climate change. And there's going to be an alternate reason. Yeah, there's probably going to be a fake alien invasion. I believe that, honestly. (laughs) Um, But they're going to have a different reason so people don't believe scripture. Satan is going to always have an alternate answer or reason for things that are happening. So we can expect that. There's going to be a lie, but we have to look to scripture what these things mean. Is it what God said or is it some natural thing happening or whatever? Um, We need to be discerning. And we're going to look like conspiracy theorists for believing the Bible. (laughs) Yes, we will. And that's all right. Um, But, you know, so I think this is a fun story. I would love to know what you guys think on this topic. Is time shortening? Uh, And is it shortening in length of days? And does the Bible speak that it will shorten in length of days? Or is it just speaking like the more mainstream understanding is, shortening in number of days? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I guess if you want to share just your idea of end times, the nearness of the end times, we're always interested. I think mm-hmm. we've made the the claim here before that, you know, we don't claim to be, you know, anybody with sort of a a super solid foundational grasp on end times. We're still studying and learning. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're open to discussions, open to different thoughts and ideas. And um, I just think it's uh, something because of maybe technology that is different and unique for our time that, you know, maybe we take a a different look at it is all, I suppose. So uh, why is this important to Christians? Well, I think if time is quickening, if rather by pace or length, if it's shortening, you know, then we could assume Christ's return is more imminent. And then even if it isn't, right? <laughs> Christ's return is still more imminent than it was yesterday, and it will be more imminent tomorrow than mm-hmm. it is today. And therefore, we need to prepare ourselves and ready our hearts. Because if Christ is near to returning, you know, then all the stuff that we occupy our lives with, all that idleness Nikki was talking about, and if we're going to be honest with ourselves, it's idleness and occupying ourselves with things that are largely other than God. Yeah. They simply mean far less as time, you know, in Christ's return gets more imminent. And I think that exhortation from Peter in Second uh, Peter 3 where he um, says, he asks, what sort of people ought we to be? I think, boy, is that a good question and Mm -hmm. something we should be pondering whether time is getting shorter, longer, whatever it happens to be. That is a question Mm -hmm. we as Christians should be pondering constantly. What sort of people ought we to be? You know, should we we, uh, be what it appears many in America are? Sort of lukewarm, uh, spiritual procrastinators, if you will. Mm. 
Should we be agnostic people and like, well, I'll just wait and see. I'm not sure. I'm open, but I'm, you know, who knows, right? Because if time is shortening or not, you know, if the end is approaching, we really ought to be spending some time pondering what kind of people we ought to be, how we ought to live our lives, what we should be devoting our time to. All of that should be things that we really take some time. I remember a story, not a story. It's not a story because it happened to me. <laughs> um, it's a story for you guys. <laughs> a coworker of mine, it was on, and I might've mentioned on this show before, but it was on one of my very first deployments. Um, might, might've been my second deployment. So I was young and um, you know, out in the Middle East and stuff, there's places aren't necessarily lit up the way they are here in America. I mean, there are certain cities that kind of use a little more light discipline, but we were outside in the evening, late at night, and me and another uh, coworker were kind of standing there staring up at the stars talking about, man, how vast that, you know, it was and not really from a spiritual sense, um, but just how incredible it is, you know, it just goes on and on, like what's, and we were kind of talking about that and our uh, coworker came out and she was like, what are you guys talking about? And we mentioned, it, and she's like, oh, I don't talk about that. It stuff freaks me out. I'm like, what do you mean it freaks you out? It's there. You have to deal with it. And she's like, I don't even want to think about it. What about like the vastness of space? Just the vastness, the endlessness. And I think it's it what you creepy. talked about when you think about <laughs> eternity. It just, uh, just yeah. give me Facebook. I just want to scroll and forget about yeah. it. And the thought of eternity used to paralyze me with fear as a kid. Oh, yeah. to think about just going on and on, like, oh, I couldn't handle it. Can't comprehend until you it. kind of understand the love of God and the desire to be with him. And then you're like, oh, no, that is good. Everything from God I is know. good. I had a but, moment like that as a kid, too. I remember I was sleeping over at my friend Stephanie's, and I was thinking about, for some reason, I was probably like seven, and I was thinking about living forever, and it like freaked me out, and I wanted to go home. Like I didn't want to do a sleepover. It like, made me so uncomfortable thinking about it. <laughs> I don't think that's an uncommon thought, and I would tell you, wrestle with it. Give yourself time to th sit and think and freak out about it, <laughs> because it is real. There is an eternity on the other side of this life, and we need to decide where we're going to be for that eternity because we will be in one of two places, heaven or hell. Yeah, you got to think um, about where it's going to be. And just scrolling through Facebook isn't going to get you to heaven, <laughs> you know, at the end of it. So we ought to be pondering what kind of people we should be and, yeah. you know, following with that, what should we people. do about it? I think yeah. we should take Peter's exhortation seriously. You know, we should be examining our lives and we should be adjusting them accordingly. You know, don't just mm -hmm. examine your life and go, yep, making a lot of mistakes. What's on Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. We should be adjusting accordingly. You know, we have so many topics we can focus on. Yeah. Besides every time ourselves. You open the Bible, there's yeah. something to focus on. And, mm -hmm. you know, what benefit is there to having God's word and reading it if we don't actually adhere to it? Mm -hmm. You just read and go, boy, that's all really good stuff. Oh, well, right? You know, and again, yeah. so whether the Lord's return is imminent, or not. I mean, our own personal end is in a sense imminent. Rather, you know, what's that uh the psalm, you know, the teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days, you know, whether you're 70 or 80, mm -hmm. you know, the end is coming and it's gonna come quickly. So whether the Lord's coming back um or we're gonna go and meet him uh, at the end of our um, short lives, you know, we ought to live in a manner that's pleasing to him. Mm -hmm. And we know what is pleasing to him.
because it's in the book. <laughs> he gave us yeah. a book that explains what's pleasing to him. So we should be reading it and adjusting our lives to it. Um, and then how should we pray about it? Because Christians should pray about everything. I think we should pray that God would reveal to you the desires of your heart and also the waywardness of your heart, you know, and then pray a prayer of repentance and a prayer of faith to live as we ought to, um, again, regardless if Jesus comes back tomorrow or if you live to a ripe old age and you die peacefully, it doesn't matter. Your life should be marked by repentance and faith and belief in God um, and longing and looking forward forward to his return to meet him. So um, do you have any final thoughts on this discussion of length of days, shortening or quickening of time Um, or pace? I think, I know just for me, like I can stop and reflect on my life. Um, On on being a, um, what sort of person we should be, you know, thinking that. And just think on that in regards to the people who are in your life, maybe the things God has given you, um, your responsibilities, your job, your home. You could even just think about like two um, parts of your life to say, well, God has given me a house. Um, I don't take very good care of it, whether you have kids or not. Just be like, all right, what sort of person should I be in this regards? I'm going to focus on taking care of this, Um, whatever it is, fixing things up or cleaning or just... Um, or if it's a relationship, think about one person in your life that maybe you need to mend a relationship with. You can think in these small, like practical ways. You don't have to look at it as like a whole and as overwhelming, like, and ask God to show you what things to focus on. Like with me, like I was praying, God convict me where I need conviction. Like something's got to change in my life and it can't just be me motivating myself. I was motivated by the scriptures. They convicted me. It didn't stir up from within myself. It was from the word of God that brought, that spurred me on. Um, it was like I knew my sin. I knew I had a fault, but I had no motivation, nothing really spurring me on. Um, I know that sounds horrible, but that really is like the truth. God's word is what just like wakes us up and motivates us. We can know the truth of something and still like be unable to perform like the right thing. So number one, yeah, pray about it. Like you said, pray about it and and read God's word because it's going to be what motivates you, what gets you doing the thing that you know you're supposed to do. Um, yeah, that's the kind of person we ought to be is a person in the word first, um, praying and in the word, and then everything else is going to flow out of that. So that what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Um, you can't really do that in the flesh. So. Um, yeah, just ask God for help. Absolutely, we should. And, um, again, we'd love to know you guys' thoughts on this. Um, it might be a, a topic that is idiotic and makes no sense, but either way, let me know. It's still fun to discuss. <laughs> so, it's not wrong. It's yeah. Yeah. So just it's a good topic. Something I thought was interesting when I heard it a decade ago. Still interested. Is probably even more interested as technology seems to quicken our lives more and more. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the fun stuff. We got the fun stuff out of the way up front. Now we're going to hit the music and uh, we're going to get into Christian idolatry and politics. Um, so I guess I'll just start with a bold claim. Donald Trump is a Christian idol. <laughs> um, 
maybe not for every Christian, um, but far too many. And I think it's a problem. And this, you know, probably has been hammered home dozens and dozens of times. But just last week, uh, Donald Trump had two interviews that should have faithful Christian voters really up in arms, I think. So this first one was a sit down on Meet the Press. So let's just hear um, a little bit from this interview with Donald Trump. Portion, which is okay. important to a lot of voters all across the country. Just this week, women in Idaho and Tennessee, I don't know if you saw this, filed suit against their state saying their lives were put at risk after they were denied abortion services because their state's restrictive laws put in place after Roe was overturned. So my question for you, Mr. President, is how is it acceptable in America that women's lives are at risk, doctors are being forced to turn away patients in need, or risk breaking the law? Um, sorry, we're going to get to Donald Trump here in just a minute, but we do have to get this out of the way up front first. Uh, first thing to note here is this interviewer. Think of the question that she asked Donald Trump to open this interview. How is it acceptable that women's lives are at risk while they're trying to kill their children? That's her question. There's if they're women not in Idaho. able to kill their children. Yeah, there's women in Idaho whose lives were at risk because they couldn't murder their children. What are you going to do about that? That's the question. That's the deep pondering. Insane, right? And she's very serious about this question, this interviewer. Um, she makes it clear throughout this, this, she is concerned. Um, and she also goes on in this interview, as we'll play here in just a second, multiple times to claim that nobody wants or is advocating, not the Democrat Party, they're not advocating for late term abortions. Let's hear her make this claim. People, pro-lifers have the right to negotiate for the first time. They had no rights at all. Because the radical people on this are really the people, the Democrats, that say after five months, six months, seven months, eight months, nine months, and even after birth, you're allowed to President, terminate Democrats the baby. Democrats aren't saying that. I just have to Democrats are not saying that. Does it bother you? She just had to let the president know. Now, of course, Donald Trump is spot on right about this. He's, of course, right. But she has to let him know. And this is one of the many times that she has to let him know they are not advocating for late-term abortions. Nobody is advocating for that. Um, so this interviewer's name here is Christian or Kristen Welker. And um, again, she's very adamant, you know, that it's unspeakable that women's lives would be at risk just for wanting to murder their children and that nobody is advocating for late-term abortion. Um, so it's just worth pointing out, and that's why we want to get it out up front first, that she is lying. And I would assume she's knowingly lying about this um, when she says that nobody's advocating for late-term or post-birth abortion. So I have this um, clip here. You guys may have heard it. it's a little bit old now. Not that old. Um, but this is former Democrat governor from Virginia, Ralph Northam, advocating for infanticide you know, post-birth abortion of a child. So let's hear what nobody is saying except this man. 
are no exception. There was a very contentious committee hearing yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortions as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion, even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support her measure and, and explain her answer? So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered. Uh, the infant would be kept comfortable. Uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So so nobody is talking about what they're actually talking about, right? Because she says there, you hear the interviewer, well, this lady, this delicate, is pitching a bill, essentially, for as you're dilating to deliver your child, they can still abort it. That sounds like late term. And then former Governor Ralph Northam, which nobody's talking about, Kristen Welker, make sure to let us know and let President Trump know. Nobody's advocating except for the former governor who says, well, listen, I think what we should do is have the baby and we'll keep the baby comfortable. And then the mom and the doctor can decide if they actually want to keep the baby or just kill it after it's born. Why should a moral decision be in the hands of a physician? This is something anybody can make a decision on. It's not the doctor's decision. You know, like passing a moral thing onto somebody else, like, I'm not a doctor. I have no say. Like, yes, you do. You know murder is murder. You don't have to be a doctor to know that. Or a, a woman who's like, you know, the whole thing is like, oh, you're not a man. You have no say in this issue. Yeah, it was moral for the German doctors to wipe out the Jewish race. Um, well, we asked the doctors and they agreed. Oh Gassing them was the best option. Wow. It um, could go to that, really. So again, nobody's talking about this. Kristen Welker, make sure that we know this. Except for, here's another article, Christopher Zahn of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists and Jenny Villavencio of the Society of Family Planning argued the position of abortion activists in their August 30th Washington Post letter to the editor saying, it must be available without restriction, without limits, and without barriers. They seem to be advocating for it, Kristen Welker. And I also have here, if you care to go and read for yourself, a list of what the abortion stance is for all 50 states. And you can go and see, like our state, the wicked state of New Mexico, who, one of many, um, that allows legalized abortion and there is no restriction on the practice based on how far along a person is in their pregnancy. So it sounds like New Mexico's down with late-term abortion. So, you know, we just want to point this out. We're going to get to Donald Trump in just a second. But, you know, the left in this country, they do want abortion up to birth. And in the cases of the Ralph Northams in the world, who I do not believe is a lone ranger on this, right? Um, even after birth, that's what he explained in that interview. We'll keep the baby comfortable until we kill it after it was born. They just simply don't like the language used. 
And that's what Kristen Welker is doing. She doesn't like Trump saying, you know, these savages that want these super late term abort. It's difficult for her sensitive ears, I would imagine, to hear that. Um, they don't want to be faced with the reality of what's actually happening, killing a baby, right? It's just like so much of what the satanic left believes in, right? It's not based in reality. Instead, it's just emotions and feelings. And when you tell them the truth of what's actually, uh, actually happening, right, it hurts their feelings. You know, it's not nice to tell them that they're mutilating a child's genitals. It's affirmation yeah. care. But what he was talking about wasn't even about the life of the mother. It was about whether or not this child uh, was viable um, or if, you know, they had some severe disabilities. His was a completely different reasoning. Right. His was, hey, that baby you're going to have might make your life uncomfortable. It might make it hard. You might have to devote a lot of, like, I don't know. I know that... I mean, people already think children are burdens anyway, even when they're completely healthy. Um, our society worships dogs now. They would rather just have a a dog than a kid. Yeah, like your people, kid might have Down syndrome. It'd be better if he was dead. Isn't I'm it? I'm sure most people with Down syndrome wouldn't assume that. Uh, but that's the that's the mentality of the modern satanic. It's that left we in this see. Country people as too much of a, you're being you really it's a selfish mentality when you think oh it's, it's really going to hinder my life if the person i mean it doesn't matter god created them we can't say well if this you don't know if the person is they don't know a difference if they have a, a mental handicap i've seen many of them smiling happy no they can't enjoy the things the same way you do but they still have joy you still have a relationship with them they love you. They still bond with you. No, it's satanic and it's evil. But we just wanted to make that point probably a longer point than we needed to make, that Kristen Welker is a liar. Um, and that's just important to note going into these interviews, as we've talked about many times with the news media, the political class, they are liars. They are lying to you. Kristen Welker mm -hmm. is lying to you here. Mm -hmm. So just wanted to get that off my chest. But back to the matter at hand. Uh, Christian America's seemingly great savior and idol on his stance on abortion. So let's hear Donald Trump. Election. Yeah. A very clear sense of where I think you stand I on think this. they're all going to like me. I think both sides are going to like me. Let, let me what, but what's let Mr. going President, to have to Mr. happen is you're going to have to... Listen, you're asking me a question. What's going to happen is you're going to come up with a number of weeks or months. You're going to come up with a number that's going to make people happy. Because... 92% of the Democrats don't want to see abortion after a certain period of time. If So he's going to get him in a room. And if you listen to this whole article, right, he's going to get him in a room, sit him down. He's going to come up with a, with a decision that makes both sides happy. That's his mm -hmm. big point. And this should upset us on the Christian side of the American populace. Yeah. Because I do not want to come to an agreement with the satanic left. I don't right. want to, you know, they want to kill children. How do you come to an agreement on that? How do you come to agreement with people that want to sacrifice their children to Moloch? Listen, up till 15 weeks, you can sacrifice them, not a day longer, right? I don't want to have an agreement on that. But I want to win on that issue. Right, like we don't even know what his position is like what his personal opinion is on it like 
I want to know your convictions, not about what you think it's going to be or what what's going to be agreed upon. Like, Donald Trump, what do you believe on abortion? Well, and she was trying to corner him into saying that, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't give his but you're opinion. you're allowed to say your personal opinion and, and say, but we're going to try to work something out. This is what I want, but it might not happen. At least say that. And that's why we should be up in arms on this, because I think what Donald Trump is showing himself to be here is a deal maker. Mm-hmm. He's just a negotiator. And he even says it in this interview, I think, that he's just a middleman. Yeah. And I mean, it's the art of the deal. He just wants to make a deal. Both sides are going to be happy. Yeah. Why would you want the satanic left to be happy with your solution on this? I want right. them to lose. And I want the God-fearing, those who value life, to win. But this should get us up in arms. What do you mean you're going to get together in a dark room and negotiate some deal with people who want to murder kids? Are you out of your mind? I don't want that. Um but let's hear. He wasn't done. I mean, DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think I, that I goes think what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. What, is, what does he mean it was terrible that he signed one at all? Like, I, I don't know what he means, if it was good or bad, in what sense. Like he. I think his big point here, well, first off, it's hard to know with Donald Trump where he stands on anything or what he believes. But I think because... He wants to win. He wants to win the presidency. And I think maybe, I guess, if you're looking at it from the best possible point of view, he's saying it was an awful thing because you're not going to win being the guy who passed a six-week abortion ban. You know, because that's kind of his thing here. I'm going to make a deal. Everyone's going to be happy. Both sides are going to like what I have to do. So I'll win an election. That's the point. But if you're one of those staunch pro-lifers and you're passing heartbeat bill. You're never going to win. I don't care. If we lose every election and babies live, I'm down. Right. Right. But right. it's not about winning. But think said. about that. Yeah. You know, and I've heard other people make the case, which is probably very astute and right. Donald Trump in this interview is kind of dumping on all the legislation that actually made it possible for a case to come before the Supreme Court, which allowed them to overturn Roe versus Wade. Yeah. If these heartbeat bills, this Mississippi 15-week abortion ban and all these sorts of things didn't get passed in the state level, he would never be able to credit himself as being the president that overturned Roe versus Wade. So he's dumping on all the laws that actually made it possible for him to claim to be this great warrior for life. It's very bizarre. I mean, again, should cause us on the Christian right great concern that, wait a minute, so you just want to win. Whatever side of the you know equation gets you into that office is the one that you want to stand on. Yeah, uh, that should cause us concern. So let's hear him. I got one more clip from Trump on this. It could be a state ban. It could be a federal ban, but Democrats want that too. Democrats don't want to see abortion in the seventh month. Okay, I speak to a lot of Democrats. They want a number. There is a number, and there's a number that's going to be agreed to. So he's, again, he's going to come to an agreement. There's a number. Everyone's going to be happy with the number. Now, I would be happy with zero, um, Mm -hmm. but that's his stance, right? I can make a deal. I don't Mm -hmm. believe there's any real depth here with Donald Trump as far as, you know, maybe he thinks it's a political calculation. I'm not going to give you a number. I'm just going to, you know, tell you that I can be the deal maker. 
Yeah, but what is he going to do going in there? We want to know. What are you coming in on? What are you bringing into this deal? What are yeah. you telling them? How are you negotiating? Are you negotiating starting at no abortions? No, he's like, not. What's the month he's starting at to negotiate? He says in this, you know, she brings up the 15-week ban. And he's makes the case that, you know, yeah, there's a lot of traction being gained on that idea of 15 weeks. And so, again, to him, it's it's a straw poll. It's what do the majority favor? I'll get together, you know, gather the like majority what's opinion making everybody Making everybody happy, there's no way. You can't make everybody happy. People yeah. who are pro-life are not going to be happy with any... Um, amount of time, you know, for an abortion. And then the ones who are pro-choice think they should have the choice up to, it's their body, their choice. If they want to do it while they're in labor, then yeah, like you're either pro-life or you're pro-choice. There is no in-between because if you are in between, you're just pro-abortion. Like that's it. Right. And he also makes the case in here that he's for exceptions, you know, the uh, rape, incest and life of the mother exceptions. Um, you know, which is just accommodating because, you know, and this is something that I think would be interesting because this is what you always hear. Even I don't know of a single politician running that doesn't say that they would make exceptions for rape, incest and life of the mother. But if you said rape was an exception that a girl could have an abortion on, would you what length would you go to to ensure that they were, in fact, raped? I know. I was just thinking right? that, too. They can all just or come in and girl say that. Because if. Are you going to step on that girl's privacy? Be like, well, who raped you? When did this rape happen? No, we've got all sorts of like protections against women that, you know, um, that don't have to give that information. And it's for a purpose. They want them to come forward and feel mm -hmm. um, safe. So are you going to demand that your doctors are given this information before they? Of course you're not. So it's just, it's kind we're, of a straw we're gonna man. See, we're going to see articles. A 50% increase in rapes this year. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how many rapes are happening. Yeah, it's of course. Um, and I'm not going to play this next clip. I'll just I have the article linked if you guys want to go and give it a listen. But, you know, in addition to the abortion ar argument, he also went on Megyn Kelly's um, or some show with Megyn Kelly. And he was kind of soft on transgenderism um, with his answer, you know, if I think she asked him if a man can become a woman or something to that effect. And he wasn't really that strong on his answer there. He did go on in this interview, I think, to say that puberty blockers um, for minors were bad. He opposed that, you know, but I think he was generally soft on his answer on transgenderism. And I think because kind of like the uh, abortion issue. I think he kind of wants to be neutral personally and then just fight for a winning side, mm. whatever's going to get him like. the win, you know? And I just think it's for a Christian voters in this country on really the two great moral issues of our day, abortion and transgenderism. This man, Donald Trump, sort of the great Christian idol, wants to stay neutral. That should drive us crazy, yeah. right? But it doesn't. I think so many on the Christian right seem completely fine. And I think the way it comes across to me is that they've decided that winning or vengeance 
is more important than moral, uh, moral clarity and truth. Mm. And I disagree with that wholeheartedly. And it just makes you think of American Christianity as a whole. Like if you consider the state of American Christianity in 2023 going into 2024, half of the nation's Christians voted for pro-abortion, pro-trans in your kids, pro-vax mandate, President Biden. And now the other half of Christians want to vote for pro-abortion, soft on trans, pro-vaxing Donald Trump. Uh, pretty much the same. Like, <laughs> that's the entirety of the, it. How can that be? Yeah. Um, like, you know, it gets you to the place where you see a lot of yourself, you know, uh, in Abraham. And, you know, Abraham and his dealings with God, you know, when God's going to wipe out Sodom and you're like, Lord, there's just, there's got to be at least 50 of us left in America that are still righteous, right? Still love life and your truth. Can you spare the nation for that? God's like, yeah, sure. Go find me 50 of them. Good luck. It's what you feel like. You're like, I know. boy, I wonder if that's what, you know, Abraham was going through a lot in his day living through America in 2023. How many people were in that city? Well, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Does it say in any um, commentaries? No, I don't think so. But I mean, just consider that, right? The Christian, you know, right in this country is Biden. Oh, he's pro-abortion, pro-trans, pro-vax mandate. I'm voting for Donald Trump. Yeah, he's pro-abortion, soft on trans and pro-vax. Hey, how dare you? He's, uh, the, he's the chosen yeah. of the Lord. To bring about, all right, sure, right? Uh, it's just crazy. And again, what it says to me, I think, is that, and this isn't everybody, obviously, I'm broad brushing it here. I'm not speaking about every Trump voter in the world. He does have accomplishments. Um, but something to note on his accomplishments, he and his ilk won't allow you to stand and you know defend Ron DeSantis on his accomplishments right? Those don't mean anything anymore. Well, then if accomplishments don't mean anything anymore, then neither do Donald Trump's, right? Because if you're going to talk about record and what they've done in the past in their elected offices, then you kind of have to look at all of it. But mm -hmm. somehow we're told we should forget all the stuff that Ron DeSantis did because somebody called him a rhino one. So now he's just a rhino. But let's all focus on what Donald Trump did and ignore what he's doing today. Like, it's definitely hypocritical you know, using two different sets of standards for each person. But again, what it says to me for kind of the the bulk idol worshiping Trump supporters among them is again, they believe that Donald Trump can win, so they support him, or they think Donald Trump will be their vengeance against a godless left in this nation. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, like, which is it, Christian America? Why can't it be um, Ron? Well, and just... Why can't it be? And I think the idea, at least of the righteous anger that we feel towards the godless, that is good. We should be upset about the yeah. godlessness, the evil that's, you know... But why do we have muck. to tell God who he's going to use? Why don't we just Well, and I think we're wrong on who we think God. he's going to use. That's my big point here. I think we're wrong to assume that Donald Trump is going to be either of those. You know, so whatever side you're on, if you think you're going to vote for Trump because he's the only one who can win, or you're going to vote for Trump because you think he's the vengeance that's needed, I think you're wrong in both cases. 
I think he's going to have a near impossible time actually winning because for the last three election cycles he's run, independents don't vote for Donald Trump. And what would make them change their opinions now? I would assume nothing. So how is he going to win the election this time around? Uh, I think it's going to be nearly impossible for him. And then even if you think, well, I'm voting for him because he's going to be the vengeance, which is probably the number one thing you hear from people in this sort of idol worshiping camp, that Donald Trump is the only one. He's going to clean out the swamp and he's going to hold all these people accountable, all this sort of stuff. We have no evidence of him doing that, right? He ran on this locker up. He's going to throw Hillary Clinton in prison and then he gets elected. Did he do that? Nope. He drained the swamp. Nope. And it's that whole, you know, you're fired thing from Donald Trump was a shtick. It was a television personality. That's not who Donald Trump is. So if you're you're voting for him because you think he's going to be the vengeance um, that's needed for the godless in this country, you are wrong. He has no we have no evidence of him doing that. So, um, you know, it just it drives me crazy, you know, this idolatry or idolatry over Trump. Um, because he does not believe what the people who idolize him believe. You know, he's telling you in these interviews that he doesn't actually believe in it. Um, he believes in making deals. Now, I do believe that Donald Trump loves the country. And compared with the current crop of leaders in our nation who seem to only love mammon, you know, and serve in their father, the devil, that makes him stand head and shoulders above them. You know, he looks like this, you know, great, glorious leader simply because he loves the country and the ones who seem to be running it now don't. Um, but we need in America to stop claiming that Donald Trump is something that he isn't. Mm -hmm. um, he's telling you what he is. So I just want you to consider this, right? Donald Trump is the president that ushered in maybe the greatest and the worst political decisions of our lifetime. You know, ending Roe versus Wade was maybe the greatest um, political sort of outcome in our lifetime. And Donald Trump does deserve credit for that. Mm -hmm. COVID and the vaccine are maybe the worst um, political decisions in our lifetime. And he deserves credit for that as well. But what's fascinating about these two is in this election cycle, he seems to be running away from Roe versus Wade that accomplishment. And he seems to be fighting till his dying breath to support his COVID response in the vaccine. Hmm. And the people that support him are completely backwards on that. He doesn't believe what you believe. And that's what drives me nuts about this Trump support. Um, again, I'm not saying he wouldn't be a better president or a good president. I'm not saying that, but it's just the way people hold him to such esteem and just dismiss what he says, all these sorts of things. It just idols are hard to put down. And man, it I think just it's a lot of the prophecy. The I think the false prophecy blinds people. Oh, that's the worst. That's I think that's the main thing it is that it's and this prophecy has caused idolatry. Um yeah, I mean you said it all. I mean <laughs> The whole vengeance thing, like it's just focused on vengeance. That's all it's about. And it's not about picking somebody who has, um, is outspoken on their own personal moral convictions. 
Um, we want someone who speaks the truth and also has a record of doing the things that they say they're going to do. It seems pretty simple, but this, pro this the prophecy stuff is really blinded people to see other options. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's also what makes it worse. You know, this blindness to it is that we actually have candidates that do the things Christian Americans claim to want Trump to do. But rather than support them, we just trash them in order to pay homage to Trump. And I don't want to make this about Ron DeSantis, but Ron DeSantis just suspended um, the third corrupt government official in Florida, suspended them, removing them from office. You know, but we're supposed to go, ah, never mind that. Trump told us he's a rhino. Uh, so, you know, Ron DeSantis's track record doesn't matter. The fact that he's actually cleaning out the swamp in Florida doesn't matter, right? Donald Trump, he never fired Dr. Fauci, never fight, fired Deborah Burks, right? He supported Kevin McCarthy, all these people that Christian America seems to not like. Donald Trump had the opportunity and didn't. But then when we have candidates that actually do it, we're just like, man, who cares, right? They suck. Why? I, I just don't get it. Um, and I think you know, Donald Trump for all that he did. And we've talked about this before. I think the greatest thing that Donald Trump and his presidency ever did was expose. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what maybe, you know, if he was brought about by the Lord and we know all leaders and stuff are brought about by the Lord, maybe this is why he was brought about, you know, he is a human flashlight in this nation. And we on the Christian right always tend to focus on what he exposed about the left. You know, ah, it's the fake news, the deep state, the swamp, all this sort of stuff. But he exposed just as much on the right. And I think that's what yeah. we're talking about here. He that's exposed true. the idol factory that is the human heart on the Christian right. And just because he exposed it doesn't mean he has is going to take care of it. No. Like that's just her, his part maybe to expose it. And then someone else comes in. Thank you for exposing that. I'll clean it up. Yeah, maybe it should be a flashlight that drives us to repentance for our idol, you know, our idolatry that um, we've given over to. And I think it's exposed that in abundance. So uh, I'm not trying to say, and this may be a bad way to say it, that Donald Trump would be a bad president um, if he gets reelected. I'm not suggesting that. Or that Ron DeSantis will be a, that, you know, he will be a good president if he gets ele uh, elected. Mm -hmm. I don't know, right? We're not sure. I just think it's the hero worship yeah. over Donald Trump that is the problem. The blinders that people wear regarding him. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that is the issue. It really isn't about who would um, be a good president or not. No. It's just the idolatry of it without... It's like, it's a wrong perspective. I feel yeah. so many people in this country believe that we somehow owe our loyalty to Trump. No, you do not. Mm -mm. Donald Trump owes his loyalty to you, but we have it backwards <laughs> yeah. and we need to fix that. So mm. um, drives me nuts. Not trying to, you know, bash people just for no good reason, but I see it. I hear it. I know it's not everybody, but I hear it enough that it makes my skin crawl. Um, we don't owe our loyalty or our homage to Donald Trump. He owes it to us. And if he can't give it to us, then we need to go and find someone else who will. And uh, I think we all need to come to grips with that. So mm -hmm. do you have any final thoughts here on Donald Trump or 
the quickening of time um, before we roll into a quick Bible topic. Yeah, let's just do our Bible topic. <laughs> okay, yeah. It's uh, better than that. that. <laughs> it's certainly better than that. Now, um, we do want to end today looking uh, again at Mark Jones's book that we've been going through. We'll consider this a palate cleanser from our political talk. And we are on chapter 13 of this book, Mark Jones' uh, Knowing Sin. And this week's chapter is titled um, Sin's Unbelief. You know, so of course, we're talking about the sin of unbelief. And I think before we even dive in, I think it's interesting even to consider unbelief a sin. I think that's a weird thought to ponder. You know, we know that what certain sins are, but just simply not believing is Mm. you committing a sin. Uh, If you read Acts chapter 17, uh, verse 30, I think it's verse 30 and 31. Let me get it pulled up here. Do you want to read that? Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Yeah, um, God is not accepting the calls of ignorance anymore. Um, Mm. You know, that whole idea of wait and see, gather some more information, Mm. not accepting it, right? He tells you there at the end of verse 31, Christ rose from the dead you have your proof. Now believe that's the stipulation. Otherwise Mm -hmm. you're sinning against God and you will reap your due punishment. He's made it so easy. Yeah. You have no excuse. There's the evidence. He's walking out of the grave. So I just think that idea of not even believing is a sin against God. And um, going into this chapter here, Jones kind of opens the chapter saying, there is no more harmful sin in the world than that of unbelief. Mm. And then he goes on to quote Thomas Goodwin saying, unbelief was the chief of man's first sins. Their first miscarrying was not believing God's word, and therefore they especially wounded our nature with unbelief. And faith being extinguished, the contrary principles have come to possess the mind. And, you know, we see that, right, in the Garden of Eden um, with Eve. Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, when the serpent tells her, you surely will not die, right? She believed the serpent and doubted God's word. He told her she would die. Like, you won't die. You know what? Maybe I won't die. Um, I'll be like God. Yeah, so there were certainly other sins that came along with it, sin of pride and all of this, but unbelief, she didn't believe God's word. And, you know, I think why unbelief is a sin, and really it's a very dastardly and conniving sin, you know, is the belief that faith is, you know, it's the only way that we can be saved. So having unbelief prevents you from ever coming to the only place, the only, you know, understanding and knowledge that can actually save you. Uh, Very conniving that way, I think. John chapter 8, verse 24 says, uh, this is Jesus Mm-hmm. John chapter 8, verse 24, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Um, you know, so even people that claim to be good and honest people, 
you know, they might even be people who are seeking after the truth. They're sinning and they're doomed for eternal separation from God unless they believe, you know. But I think, and again, why it's kind of conniving, because unlike the sort, you know, the more overt sinners that are out there, the ones that we see, the murderers, the rapists, this sort of stuff, they can kind of convince themselves and even others around them to think like, well, they're not that bad. You know, they're trying to understand, they're seeking, they just haven't come to it yet. It hasn't, you know, they need more information, more answers. And then that somehow maybe God's going to understand that, you know, when you die and you stand before the throne, he's going to go, I know you were really trying, but I just didn't make it plain enough to you. You're in. That's not the case, Mm -mm. right? He just told you, um, Christ rose, you have your evidence, believe. So I think... In that sense, unbelief is a very dastardly sin. You can think, no, I'm really trying. God's going to know that I'm trying. I'm looking. I just haven't been convinced yet. It's not going to work. Yeah, it is something to think about how they just, just, that is a lame excuse because everybody, especially here, we have access to God's word. I mean, it's, if you don't believe it, you're, you're choosing to not believe it. Like you are willfully ignorant rejecting it, refusing to look at the evidence. That's what it is. People just deny this straight up historical evidence. And they just like, nope, it's written by men. Can't trust it. Man wrote it. Nope, nope. Like that's everybody's excuse. Yeah. And I, you know, the dark side, I don't think is going to rest on us. You know, you're being convinced by them that somehow God's going to understand that you're trying, you know, he, I wanted to believe in the higher power and God and stuff like that just couldn't, and that somehow that's going to get you out of punishment. Um, It's not. It's not what we read, right? These same people who say, I don't trust the Bible because I don't trust men, that it's not corrupted and, you know, they're using it for their own plan or whatever. These are the same people who trust the science. They trust scientists, but they don't trust people who (laughs) write the Bible, um, the different translations, and but they're going to trust science uh, scientists and doctors with their physical health you know what i mean see how that's so oh it is it's <laughs> kind of backwards you know but again it's it's not going to it's not going to spare you that unbelief is a sin you know and um it's just it's it is faith both of them are acts it's of faith, faith and it's just it's difficult you know and um i think it puts blinders on people that you know god's going to understand that I wanted to know the truth, but couldn't, you know, find it. And I just think, you know, it can convince and trick people into thinking that maybe there's a way, um, but there isn't a way. It's just crazy because people put so much research into, you know, the the health industry or, you know, researching, you know, peer-reviewed studies. They want to look those up. You know, we've done our work on some stuff like vaccines and stuff. We took our time. We did our research. We looked up ingredients. We looked up how things are processed and tested. We took time. But people will not take that same time to invest in their spiritual well-being, things that are eternal, but they'll invest the time to research the temporal things that just concern their physical body, their physical health. It's not, you know, we talked about time today. Will you take the time to research, to, to prove right or wrong uh, the scriptures if they, in fact, are um, historically true? 
if you can trust them, just like you do your research on other things in life. Yeah, you can't like, say, I don't yeah. have time and God's going to understand. No, you have the time. We all have the time to research any topic. It's almost like the uh, unbelieving sort of truth seeker is kind of likened to the lukewarm, you know, that God says he'll spit out of his mouth. Like, yeah, I'm still looking, I'm searching, I'm just not sure. God's like, I'd rather you be all in for me or all out. Just be completely obstinate against me. Mm-hmm. You know, don't just be this wishy-washy, eh, you know, I'll, we'll see, you know, maybe you'll convince me. If you maybe care. I'll see a sign, you know, and right. I'll come to faith and um, you're just it's that lukewarm, it sounds like to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, God is not pleased with the lukewarm. Mm. Uh, and Jones writes in here, he says, faith and unbelief are both tickets. Faith, a ticket to heaven, and unbelief, a ticket to hell. So um, I would agree with that. that. Unbelief is taking you to one place and one place only. Um, and this chapter does go on to discuss two types of unbelievers. It talks about those of negative unbelief and those of privative unbelief. It says negative unbelief is those who have never heard the gospel of Christ explicitly, the so-called heathen, while privative unbelief are those who have heard the gospel but choose not to believe. And, you know, we'd be lying to you to say that, you know, sort of this negative unbelief crowd, that it's not difficult to deal with these, you know, group of people for believers. You know, it's, I think every group of believers wrestles with the idea of those who have never heard, but Mm -hmm. they're going to hell. I mean, that's a difficult, you know, theological topic to discuss, though it's, it's right and one that needs to be discussed. Um, but Jones notes that this crowd, the negative unbelievers, are charged with material infidelity, is what he calls it. He says, they cannot believe the good news when they are ignorant of it, yet they still bear responsibility for their lack of faith. And he points to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Mm-hmm. You want to read that? Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. We just said that one. What was that about? <laughs> yeah, he just we just said that one. But so that's the negative unbelief crowd. They don't believe because they've never heard. Um, which again, I think both sides, all sides of the Christian um, faith wrestle with that idea, you know, um, how does God deal with those who have never heard? Um, but again, if, you know, the only way to salvation is faith in Christ and you've never heard and don't have faith in Christ, then you're an unbeliever, you would have to say. so. Yeah, God will not reject somebody who would have believed, but they just didn't hear. Hmm. Does that make sense? If they would have, like the idea that like, oh, they would have believed, but God let them slip through his fingers and... Well, no. And again, this is going to be probably the argument from wherever your faith background yeah, stands, yeah. right? You know, for us, probably from more of the election crowd is that if they were elected, they would have heard to believe. Anybody and if they didn't, then yeah. that's because they weren't of the elect. Um, whereas, I don't know, from more of the free will side of things in salvation, how they wrestle with that to come up with, um, 
how it's acceptable for those who have never heard. Therefore, they don't have faith. You know, if you're in that camp, let us know in the comments. You know, how do you guys wrestle with that difficult topic? Um, God won't lose anyone whose name is written in the book before the foundation of the world. Um, so he's going to make sure that person hears the gospel. That's what it comes down to. Right. So that's the difficult topic to deal with, the negative unbelief, the material infidelity, I think is what they call it. But the second one he calls formal infidelity, and that's the crowd who have heard and rejected the gospel. Um, so that's the one we're more familiar with, you know, the more atheistic, the more, mm -hmm. I guess, false religion, God haters and stuff like that. Um, but he says, even in the church, we see this. And um, John Owens notes, in the church, there are two types of faith. He says, first, that which true believers possess, a faith that purifies the heart and works by love. And the second would be a historical faith that does not justify. Um, mm. You know, so those who may mm -hmm. claim to believe, they understand, they've learned it, but it doesn't actually change or purify, right. sanctify, any of that sort of thing. I know that God doesn't, like, save the angels or anything. Like, they all know the truth, but they fear. Like, you know, it says even the demons believe and tremble. So it, right. that's, a really, that's a really good way they put it there, though, the um, historical faith versus, like, a, a personal faith. Yeah. Yeah, and on that second group there, the historical faith, um, John Owen says— such individuals never move beyond knowing and believing the truth intellectually to actually embrace it and the Savior who it reveals. So, I mean, we're saying there's there's people who reject God that are unbelievers and, you know, hate God. But even inside the church, there are those who, you know, sit in the pews and yet fail to embrace it, um, it outside of just mere, like, intellectual exercise. It never actually penetrates the heart and changes them and I would say I believe this is maybe the majority of the Christian church in this nation today. You know, mm -hmm. I think we actually just kind of talked about this as well on our Wednesday night church service. Those who refuse to take up their cross daily, those that refuse mm -hmm. to deny themselves for Christ, you know, they claim a faith in God, a belief in God, but they don't actually live as though Christ is Lord over their life. Mm -hmm. Um you know, it's like having a, like the whole thing, like the historical faith or just factual, you agree historically. Um, it's like there's medicine to take to make you well. You know that it works. You agree. You believe it does, but you don't take it yourself. Yeah. And I think we see a lot of those in the church today. I see, think we see, you know, churches being designed for just such people, you know, um, We'll teach you what the Bible, or you'll know, we'll teach you about the Bible, but we're like we're not going to actually expect you to change or to address your, your life to it. You know, you're yeah. Andy Stanley, and I'll just wrap whatever you are already doing in the Bible and call you blessed, sort of thing. You know, they hear the Bible, they may know Scripture, but again, it doesn't penetrate to the point of changing their heart. So mm. we see this in and out of the church, but I think this is a good topic to think about. Mm -hmm unbelief is a sin. You know, we are called to believe in God. We are called to believe that Christ raised, you know, God raised from the dead, that mm -hmm. he is the son of God. These are things that aren't just 
for believers, all people are called to do this. Um, so those who don't are sinning against God. And this chapter, like all the chapters in this book, were good. Uh, highly encourage you guys again to go pick up a copy of this and read it. Sin is not a topic that is talked about enough, especially, which is odd, as our country continues to get more and more wicked. It seems like we should be talking equally as much about sin um, and turning from it. Yep. You know, but, uh, you know, I think even just the idea of unbelief, it's something that even believers have can run the risk of falling into. Mm -hmm. You know, I would say doubt is maybe a cousin of unbelief. You know, we can have doubt at different times mm -hmm. in our life in God and promises and mm -hmm. different things like that. And um, so that's a bit a part of unbelief. And I would say where we run into that unbelief or that doubt, we should repent of it. Mm -hmm. and we feel it spring up in us and we're starting to question and doubt. We can repent from that. And God is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. So um, yep. we should do that when doubt arises. Don't run from it. Wrestle with it. Pray and repent. Yep. Just like the man um, that approached Jesus. I forget what it was in regards to, if it was a child being healed or something. But he said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yeah. I mean, we that's a prayer that. we should all be praying. I do believe, but help me. Yeah. And we all know we could believe. We can always pray for more faith. So I'll end with this final quote here from Jones. Um, he says, God gave us his best in providing his son for our sins. So rejecting him is the worst thing the worst people can do. <laughs> um, you know, as we said earlier, Christ rose from the grave. You have your proof. Mm -hmm. So repent, believe, and be saved. Mm -hmm. Um so do you have any final thoughts here on the Bible topic, the sin of unbelief? Um, no, I just think that's the, what I say about most topics. Confess and pray about everything, um, all these issues. And we end, you know, with hopefully we're all convicted whenever we talk about a topic. It's not just to share with you guys. It's for us too. just like I shared about my story with my with my conviction pray, go to the word. Um, it's where you're going to find your answers. It's where you're going to find conviction and encouragement. Um, that's always the answer. Um, so do that, do that first and just be patient, uh, waiting on God. Yeah. Um, and I will apologize. I didn't have a sermon recommendation picked out for this week. I will include one. I've been I guess a bit busy. It's been a busy week at work. So my listening has uh, diminished this week, maybe for the best, who knows. But check down in the show notes. I'll have recommended listening. Um, I think what I'm going to recommend, because the one that I did listen to uh, was from our church, Heritage Christian Fellowship. Uh, Pastor Sloan preached on Romans 1. And, you know, Christians always need to be in the book of Romans, mm -hmm. um, learning uh, from the Apostle Paul, and he gave a great sermon um, expositing Romans chapter 1, verse 1 through 7, I believe it was. So, in fact, I know that's what it's going to be. So go give that a listen, pray for Heritage Christian Fellowship, and let your soul be renewed by the hearing of the word. Uh, that is all we got. We'll be back next week. Have a blessed week.